the last monster. I know we have spent uh, quite a few weeks talking about monsters that we deal with, and if truth be told, we could probably go on another 10 weeks talking about the monsters that affect our lives or that plague us in some way, shape, or form. We've talked about all sorts of things. we talked about anger and guilt, loneliness, suffering. And today we talk about a monster that affects us all, every last one of us, the monster of worry, worry and anxiety. And I can think of no better passage to share with you than the tax collector's gospel, the gospel of Matthew. As we go to the sixth chapter, and we start with the 25th verse, as Matthew is talking about, do not be anxious. And hear these words that Jesus teaches his followers. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. When I was serving Trinity Covington up in northern Kentucky, many was the night that just like here, I had lots and lots of meetings, and I would get back to the parsonage late. But on one particular evening, for whatever reason, I was able to get out of one of those meetings, and I got back to the parsonage earlier than expected, only to find every light on in the house, the door open, the dogs there, but no Laurie. Laurie was nowhere to be found. And I called after her, thinking perhaps she was hiding from me, thinking this was one of our games that we would play, but no Laurie. I looked upstairs, I looked downstairs, I looked out in the garage, the dogs helped me look, but no Laurie. I started to worry. So then after I searched the house, I went next door and asked the neighbor, have you seen Laurie? And the neighbor said, no, I haven't seen Laurie. But he was nice enough to put on his coat, he came back over, and we searched the parsonage a second time, looking for Laurie. You know, and now the anxiety level is starting to really build. 
So there's no Laurie there. I call her on the cell phone. She doesn't answer her cell phone. So now, okay, what is this? I don't understand this. So now I get in the car, and I start driving around, thinking perhaps Laurie has been raptured, <laughs> leaving me with the dogs. Now, that was an impossibility because as I drove around, everybody was at home except Laurie. Everybody else was not raptured, only Laurie. I kept calling on the cell phone, absolutely no answer. And now the level's really building. I'm really starting to get worried. I've seen the movie Taken, and I know how these things end up. And I start to worry. I get back home, and I find not only my neighbor, but his wife looking through the backyard, seeing if Laurie's there. And she's gone across the street, knocked on the neighbors across the street, their door, and asked if they've seen Laurie. They're now outside looking for her. This is like find Waldo, find Laurie. Laurie's nowhere to be found. And now I'm, I'm really getting bad. I get back in the car. I go through the neighborhood again. And then I think, well, maybe she's back down at church. Maybe she went down there to do something. I drive all the way back down to Latonia. I look in church. Church is dark. No Laurie. I spend 20 minutes in that car searching every nook and cranny that I can think about trying to locate Laurie. And I'm at my wit's end. I'm physically unstable. I'm emotionally unstable. I've lost my wife. She's missing. She's been raptured. She's been taken. And there I'm sitting in the parking lot of Kroger wondering what the world I'm going to do next. And the phone rings. It's Laurie. Of course, she realizes she's in trouble because half the free world has now been searching for Laurie for almost half an hour. And she starts to explain that one of our congregants came by and said, would you like to have a ride on my motorcycle? Laurie is a sucker for motorcycle rides. So for the last 45 minutes, they have been touring all of northern Kentucky plus downtown Cincinnati while I've been going out of my wit's mind, going nuts, worried. I hung up on my wife. She called me probably another dozen times. And I would either hang up or I would ignore it because I was mad. I was thankfully no longer worried. I was glad that she was safe. Now I was angry. Remember the monster of anger? Now I wanted to kill something. So I had to cool down. Had to calm down. And finally I get home. Here all the neighbors out in the cul-de-sac waiting for the fireworks to start. And Joe, who was the congregant, who we, Laurie went on a motorcycle ride, we're very good friends. He was most apologetic. Nobody knew I was going to get home. I'm so sorry. Laurie didn't take her cell phone, and we wouldn't have heard it anyway because we were running all over Cincinnati. And Laurie tries to explain. And, you know, I put one of those pastoral smiles on my face. Okay, that's good. It happened nine years ago. Laurie and I haven't talked since. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. Worry. Worry. We all worry about something at some time or another. Look around you. We all have reasons to worry if we're actually honest about it. We need to stay out of the sun because we're afraid of skin cancer. We need to stay away from public air vents because they'll get mold in your lungs if you breathe out of them. Potato chips have too many carbohydrates in them, and if you take too many vitamins, it's toxic. We all worry about something. It's part of our lives. Matter of fact, in this country, we might worry more than anything else. If there was a heavenly computer to monitor how much we worry, 
we would find out we spend an awful lot of hours every day in anxiety. Matter of fact, some of the stress management pros will tell you that only 2% out of the stuff we worry about is worth worrying about. 2%. Now, for all of you math wizards, that leaves another 98% that we need to talk about. Real quick, 2% worth worrying about. 40% you worry about things that are never going to happen. 35% you worry about things that you cannot possibly change. 15% you worry about things that actually turn out better than you expected. Okay? And the last 8% are useless, petty, insignificant worries. That's 98% of your worry. Only 2% worthwhile, 98% thrown out. Worry is a chronic disease, especially in America. It's like driving the car with the emergency brake on. And we Americans probably do it better than anybody else because we are perpetual worriers about something. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, over the age of 18, there are about 40 million Americans that suffer from some type of anxiety disorder. 40 million Americans. It is one of the most common types of mental illness that there is. And professional counselors will tell you that worry in its simplest form is unhealthy and destructive, and you're not born with the habit. When you're born, you don't worry. You actually learn how to worry as you grow up. Worry is a habit that all of us acquire. Now, many of us worry about crime. We read on the news, this murder, that robbery, whatever, we worry about it. And there are things we can do. We can have security systems or we could join a community watch team. But worrying about crime is not going to solve it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. A lot of us worry about terrorism. We're worried about where the next terrorist attack is going to be. But you know, you can worry, 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 but you are not going to prevent the next terrorist attack. Most of our worries are related to personal circumstances, something that touches us intimately. We worry whether our children or our grandchildren are safe. We worry whether our personal relationships are truly strong. We worry whether others like us. Some of us will say we don't really care, but we care. Each of us cares whether we're liked or not. Each of us cares whether we are affirmed or not. We're worried about whether we have enough money whether we have enough money to live on, whether we have enough money to retire on, whether we have enough money to leave our spouse and our children after we're gone, we worry about it. We worry about health. We got to make sure that we didn't get the symptom that just appeared on the TV screen in front of us. Oh, gee, I feel bad. My daughter worries about everything. She's got every disease known to man. She worries about it. She's as healthy as a horse. But she watches TV or reads the internet, watches the internet, and she's got this cramp, that disease, whatever. We worry about that. And we probably, if truth be told, shouldn't. Matter of fact, the National uh, Medical Association or the American Medical Association claims that these maladies, let me list them to you, are all related to worry. See if you've got any of these. Arthritis, asthma, ulcers, skin rash and coronary thrombosis. If you've got any of those, it's related directly to anxiety and stress in your life. So all those skin rashes out there, just stop worrying. They'll go go away. (laughs) There are many worries or many sins that are worse than worry. 
but there's no sin that's more disabling than worry. And so I ask you today, what are you going to do about this monster of worry? How are you going to handle it in your lives? And if you think about it, you only have two choices. You can either handle it or you can let somebody else handle it. Now, we already do that to an extent. Matter of fact, we let the bank worry about our money. We let our financial planner worry about our retirement. We let our doctors worry about our illnesses and the diagnosis and the treatment for those illnesses. But what about if your marriage is on the rocks? What if you're worried that your children or your grandchildren are doing drugs? What about trying to find your purpose in life before your life is over? How about your worry about death? Or how about the worry of your eternal destiny? Who do you handle those over? Who do you handle those to? The author of 1 Peter will tell you specifically, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. And then we come to this verse that we read today out of the tax collector's gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Because God loves us and cares so much for us that Matthew writes these words, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the valley, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus is telling us to look at creation, look at the nature around us, look at that which God has created. Did you ever see a bird or an animal worry? Do you? You ever see them out there worrying at the bird feeder? No. You ever see a tree or a plant with anxiety? No. You've never seen a tree or a plant with anxiety, and yet things still get done. Water flows, the sun shines, the grass grows. God's in control, creation marches on. Are we not more important in God's eyes than all those other things? Did he not create us in, our, in his image? Did he not create us that we might have abundant life? Sometimes I think the birds at our bird feeder have more of an abundant life than I do because I'm worried and anxious about too many things. My guess is there's someone out there today that needs to hear these words. The monster of worry has got a grip on you. I don't know what it is. It could be health. It could be relational. It could be financial. But I'm here to tell you today, take those words to heart. You literally have to stop worrying because you don't have control over most of it. You desperately need to just stop. Consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field and turn your worries over to God. You see, worry is a needless burden. Why do you have a problem? Why do you have a burden and then dump another burden on top of it with worry? Why have two burdens together? Why not just deal with the one and give the rest over to God? You know, first and foremost, we need to understand that worry in and of itself, and I do have this thing taped to my face just in case you want to know here. First and foremost, worry itself is based on outer circumstances, not inward circumstances. Take that back. It's not based on outward circumstances. It's based on inward circumstances. Worry comes not so much from what's happening on the outside, but what we do inside in how we process that, in how we deal with that. Is there anyone in this room who's in fear of going hungry today? 
Anybody in this room fear of losing your home or your apartment today? Anybody in this room that doesn't have a pair of shoes to wear? You're pretty fortunate. You're pretty blessed. You're probably more blessed than about 80% of the world, and yet as Americans, we worry about more things like that than anything else, usually petty things, things that really don't make any difference. Jesus was speaking to a group of people that had real, real problems with survival. There was no government bailout programs back 2,000 years ago. If you lost your job, you could lose whatever home you have. You could starve to death. And here Jesus is telling them about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Aren't you more important to God than all of that? We worry more with less reason than any group of people I know, especially in this country. And that's not to minimize the problems that we face. Yes, we have concerns in our world. However, I think worry reflects the condition of our souls, not what actually is going on. Worry reflects the conditions of our souls, not what's going on. We have other things to be concerned about. Now, let's be honest. For some of you, a bad hair day is a crisis. Don't let the gray show whatever you do. I could tell you a story about Laurie, but I'm not going to because I've already told you one today, and two, I'm going to get into real trouble. We worry about the most pitiful things sometimes, and yet other people can accept the diagnosis of cancer and what it brings because they put their faith into Jesus Christ. They know that God cares about them and loves them, and the great healer is going to see them through. Worry is not so much based on outward circumstances. It's based on the inward circumstances and how we deal with it. How we deal with it. So let me give you three things real quick. Well, we had how to deal with this monster of worry. First of all, let's live in the present, folks. Let's live today. Let's live today to the fullest. What does he say? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That sounds somewhat negative, doesn't it? but I think it's good advice to live by, great advice to live by. Jesus is telling us, don't get ahead of yourselves. What needs to be done tomorrow, we'll focus on tomorrow. I want you to focus on today. Jesus is not saying don't be concerned about things because we do need to be concerned about things. We need to be concerned about our health. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. We need to get the proper amount of sleep. We do need to concern ourselves about money. We need to spend wisely. We need to concern ourselves about our children and our grandchildren to make sure they're being lifted up and they're being raised properly. Yes, those are good concerns. Those are proper concerns. Those are genuine concerns. But most of the time, we worry about stuff that doesn't make any difference. Are my roots showing? Seriously. We can turn ourselves inside out. We can turn ourselves into knots by worrying We can make ourselves physically sick. A few years ago, psychologist Richard Carlson wrote a book. And he wrote this based on a little journey that he had with his six-year-old daughter. They got trapped one morning when he was taking her to school in a traffic jam. And they were all backed up. Any of you ever been in a traffic jam? Yeah. Almost everybody, I'm sure. Everything comes to a screeching halt. And this little girl started looking around at the other people in the other cars, and she said, Daddy, why is everybody so mad? 
Because you could look at all the other cars and everybody had one of those scrounges on their face, you know. Mm, I don't want to be here. I'm in a traffic jam. Mm. Or maybe they're just sitting there worrying about all the things that they wouldn't worry about if they were going 70 miles an hour. You know, their health, their family, their finances. And suddenly it became apparent to Richard that we worry about all sorts of stuff that really doesn't make any difference. Not really. We can worry about families and work and health. Okay, that's fine. But sometimes we just get anxious and we look mad. We look terrible. So he wrote a book. I have it. It's a little book. If I could find it, I would share it with you, but I don't know where it is, and I'm not going to worry about it. But it's a little book, and it says, don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. In fact, someone has put this in a perspective for life. It says, you're born, that's big stuff. You die, that's big stuff. Everything in between, that's small stuff. That's small stuff. How are you going to deal with it? Maybe that's, life is not quite that simple. I understand that. But still, one of the secrets to a fulfilled, healthy life is to focus on today. Are you healthy at this moment? Do you have enough to live on this moment? Are you going to have food to put in your belly later this afternoon? Are your children doing well? Are your grandchildren doing well? Then you're blessed. Count your blessings. I tell my children that all the time. Count your blessings, especially when I hear the moaning and the groaning about this, that, and the other. I say, count your blessings. What does it say? I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Count your blessings, folk. Live in the presence. Another way to defeat worry is to do the right thing. Matter of fact, the, the tax collector says, be righteous. Righteousness is doing what is right. That's a, that's a key word in the formula for losing worry. You know, we talked about guilt a couple weeks ago, how guilt can eat each up from the inside out. You know, as a pastor, I don't know how many times I feel guilty and I worry that I have done something to somebody or I have said something to somebody to cause them, like, to leave, to go. Folks, there's not a pastor alive, not a pastor alive that doesn't go through that. You know, you look around and, well, where is she? I haven't seen her in three weeks. Did I say something? Did I do something? Unintentional, it might have been, and I worry about it. I worry about all of you. I worry about what I say. I worry about what I do. And there's a guilt associated with that. Some of us are guilty. We've done things to other people. Maybe we've done really bad things, and we feel guilty. We're worried about the the circumstances. Maybe what you really need to do is go to that person and ask for forgiveness. Talk to that person, and maybe they'll forgive you, and maybe they won't, but after you've asked for forgiveness, you give the rest over to God. Let him deal with it. Don't worry about it. You've done everything you can, but as a pastor, let me tell you, folks, there's not one day that goes by when I don't worry about you all. And I mean that. If I didn't, I wouldn't be a pastor. And I think Holly will nod her head on that one back there. Get rid of the guilt. Give it over to God. Get rid of the worry. Give it over to God. Let him handle it. And then the last thing, probably the best thing of all, is we need to trust God. God loves us. 
Listen to the words of Jesus once again. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The Greek word for lilies is wildflowers. These are things that just grew out in the wild. They were not cultivated. There wasn't an awful lot of wood in Palestine. You could use olive wood. But in order to stoke the furnace, stoke the fire, you gathered all this stuff together and threw it into the fire. What's Jesus saying? He says, look at these beautiful weeds. Look at these beautiful flowers. God has clothed them in glorious radiance. They're here today and tomorrow they're going to be thrown into the fire. Aren't you of much greater worth than that? Doesn't God love you so much more than that? Stop worrying about what you'll wear. God loves you. Let him take care of you. It's a heart problem, isn't it? Isn't that the essence of worry anyway? It's a lack of faith. We really don't know how much God loves us and cares for us, and we are so afraid to surrender ourselves. Oh, we'll sing the song, I surrender all. But do we? Do we? It's a great song to sing. It's another thing to actually do it. Oh, you of little faith. Let me leave you with a story. Another pastor, another place at another time. He had been flying, and he was getting ready to go home and boarded an airplane. Everything was fine, but I'm sure some of you have experienced this before. The first hint of trouble was when the stewardess came over the intercom and said, we're about to meet some turbulence, so we're going to stop our drink service, okay? It's the first thing. The worry level starts to go up. And then about five minutes later, after the drink service has been stopped, then the stewardess comes back on and says, the pilot has said that there's even more severe turbulence in front of us, so we're going to stop our meal service. Now the anxiety level really starts to rise. Nobody's looking forward to this. And then we actually enter into the storm, the pastor writes. There's lightning flashing. There's thunder that you can hear even inside the airplane over the roar of the engines. The airplane gets jostled around up 200 feet, down 200 feet, and people are literally scared. They're afraid. People are worried. People are praying. People are going, I wonder if I'm going to get out of this alive. And then the pastor notices a little girl across the aisle next to the window. And she's just sitting there. She's about six or seven years old, and she's reading a book. And she reads the book, and she closes it, and she stretches her legs, and she tucks them back underneath of her again, reads some more, closes her eyes. The plane is going up and down. People are yelling. People are praying out loud. And this little girl is oblivious. She's oblivious to fear. She's oblivious to worry. She just keeps marching on. And the pastor looks at her and goes, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe that. And they finally land. And the pastor holds back while everybody else disembarks. Everybody else wants off that plane as quickly as possible. And he goes up to the little girl who's getting out of her seat. And he says, oh, that was really a rough flight, wasn't it? That was a lot of bouncing up and down. And the little girl said, yeah, it was. She said, I need to know, 
you didn't seem to be scared at all. You weren't worried about any of that turbulence or any of that lightning or any of that thunder. And he said, why? And the little girl smiled as only a little six-year-old can smile and said, my daddy is the pilot. He's taking me home. Maybe that's the word or those are the words we need to remember as we deal with this monster of worry that God, our Father, is the pilot. Our Father is in control. And our Father is taking us home. Stop worrying. Start trusting in God Start surrendering your life to him and know that he loves you and cares for you so very much. I leave you with one thing. You can worry, 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 and you will never change anything. But you can trust in God and change everything. Amen.